the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. All leaders have sinful defects. All. Only Christ is perfect. But a man who is above reproach is a man, though he certainly has sin, he repents of it, but this man has no glaring, ongoing sinful conduct in his life that the people would look at and say, I can't follow him. I can't listen to him. Every time I look at him, I just think of this area that's out of bounds of Scripture. We're not talking about popularity contests for leaders. We desperately need godly examples and teachers to follow in our lives and in our churches. It is an awesome responsibility for a leader to serve God and maintain a clear and consistent testimony. This is what our Bible teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, will be talking about on today's message. God has established a whole list of criteria that define what a godly leader in the church is supposed to be. He won't be perfect, but he can't be a stumbling block to the people he is supposed to be leading. This standard seems very high in our world today. Instead of saying, how can anyone be spiritual enough to live that way, we should be asking ourselves, why aren't we all trying to live by this high standard of spirituality? Here's Pastor Steve with today's message. You're listening to Verse by Verse. Now, before looking at this list of 20 qualifications, there are two issues I want to address that are related to elders and their leadership qualifications. Issue number one is this. It has to do with the way that elders are chosen. How are we supposed to choose elders? How do we recognize who elders are? Well, when Paul addressed the elders of the church in Ephesus, he told them that God was the one who had appointed them to serve as leaders in the church. I remind you, Acts 20, verse 28, Paul told the elders that the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. The Holy Spirit was the one who identified these men, who selected these men, who made these men overseers. But the practical question is this, how does the Holy Spirit do this? I mean, we we believe he does this today, but how does he do this? In other words, what's the process by which the Holy Spirit identifies those who should be elders in the church? Does he, it boils down to this, does he use other elders to make the choice of new elders, or does he use the congregation to select men to lead them? That's really the question. What's the answer? Well, based on what we read in the New Testament, there was a pattern of how elders were chosen in the days of the apostles. And the pattern is that those who presently led their congregations had the responsibility of choosing other leaders to serve along with them. In other words, those who were in the position of leading the church One of their responsibilities in leadership was to identify other leaders to come alongside with them and serve the church. For example, Paul, as an apostle, he initially selected the leadership of the church. We we just spoke of that. In Acts 14, he and Barnabas appointed elders to serve in the churches. 
When he wasn't around, he put his representatives in charge. Titus at Crete, Timothy at Ephesus. They were apostolic representatives, and it was their decision as to who would serve as leaders. However, in 1 Timothy 4.4, Paul speaks of all the elders laying their hands upon Timothy. Who are all the elders? All the elders of Timothy's home church. They all laid their hands upon Timothy in recognition that he had been called to be a leader in the church. So the biblical principle then for selecting new elders is that those who are already in leadership in the church are responsible for identifying and selecting new elders. Now, the way we do things at Lakeside is that the present elders, and this is how we apply this truth, the present elders identify men who we believe are spiritually qualified And not only is there godliness in their lives, but we also look and see that they are functioning as elders. They may not have the title of elders, but they're functioning. People are responding to them as leaders. And we simply come along and we recognize this. We speak to them about whether or not they're interested in serving as an elder. A man may be very godly, but not be interested in serving as an elder. That's okay. But if he says yes, then there is a rather lengthy process by which this man is examined as to his spiritual fitness to serve as an elder. Questions are asked, meetings are conducted, and that goes on. Now, we also want to be sensitive to you as a congregation, so we bring the names of these men before you as a congregation in order for you to affirm these men as the duly appointed, recognized leaders over you. So that's the first issue. How does the Holy Spirit do this? He does it through the present leadership. Second issue that I want to bring to your attention that's related to the selection of elders is this, that in the early church, all the elders, including the pastor teachers, came from within the congregation. We often forget that. We get caught up in our American way of life. But that's not the way. The way we do things in the United States, usually in churches and selecting uh, leaders, not the way it was done in the early days of the church. Listen, in the first century, there were no Bible colleges. There were no seminary graduates applying for positions of leadership in the church. All the elders, and I mean all of them, came from within the ranks of the people of the church. They didn't say at Ephesus, who do you have at Colossae to send over here? They didn't do that. They all came from within the church. Therefore, what that meant was that the congregation had the opportunity to carefully observe the lives of its men, in order to make an accurate evaluation of whether or not they were qualified for ministry. They knew these men. They saw these men. They saw how they operated their businesses, how they operated their families. They saw how they they taught. They understood them. They observed them through all various aspects of life. See, it is the sad story of many churches today, here in our country, who choose a man to be their pastor based pretty much on hearing him preach once or twice on a Sunday and evaluating him, for the most part, based on his preaching ability, only to discover later that he was really lacking in godliness. And that's one of the reasons why pastors seldom end up in churches for long-term ministries. They just wear out their welcome once people get to know them. It's just, it's a bad system that you bring in the hired gun to lead the church. 
So the way to avoid this heartache of selecting the wrong kind of men to lead the church is for all of us, all of us, to be aware of what the Bible says are the qualities to look for in a man's life if he's to be considered for eldership in the church. So what I want to do in our time remaining is to briefly mention these 20 qualifications to be an elder. And I mean brief. I want to say all of this is covered in detail, and I also mean detail, in the series in First Timothy and Titus. So you can get the CDs or tapes of First Timothy 3, Titus chapter 1. It really is quite detailed, but here we want to be very brief. So let's look at First Timothy chapter 3. Starting in verse 2, we read this. An overseer then must be, and that's emphatic, he must be, there's no grounds for flexibility here, he must be above reproach. Paul starts off, before listing the specific areas of a man's life that must be, he must be exemplary in, he speaks of his life in its entirety, in the big picture. And he says he must be above reproach or blameless. What does that mean? It essentially means that his life is free from any disgraceful character defect. Now, understand this. It certainly doesn't mean perfection. None of us could ever serve if it meant perfection. All leaders have sinful defects. All. Only Christ is perfect. But a man who is above reproach is a man, though he, though he certainly has sin, he repents of it, but this man has no glaring, ongoing sinful conduct in his life that the people would look at and say, I can't follow him. I can't listen to him. Every time I look at him, I just think of this area that's out of, out of bounds of Scripture. In other words, to be above reproach means he's a model, an example that all Christians can follow. Now, having spoken of being above reproach as the overarching qualification for being an elder, Paul then speaks of the various areas of his life in which this man must be above reproach. Now, some I'll be a little more brief than others because some, quite frankly, the very words that Paul uses are self-explanatory, but others need to be a little more explained. He begins, he starts off by saying he must be the husband of one wife. Now, by mentioning this qualification first, Paul is immediately informing the church that only men are to serve as elders, not women. God has many valuable ministries for women in the church, but leadership in a pastoral sense over the church is not one of them. The Bible teaches that elders are to be men because only a man can be the husband of one wife. Now, what does Paul mean by this? Now, contrary to what some think, this is not a statement about a man's marital status. It's about his character. These are character issues that Paul is addressing. The only one that's a little different from character is that he must be able to teach. But everything else is character issue related in this too. Not his marital status. Paul means that this is the kind of man who is not flirtatious, promiscuous, or involved in inappropriate relationships with women. If he is married, then he must be the kind of man who is totally loyal with single-minded devotion to his wife. That's what he means. doesn't prohibit a single man from serving. It's not dealing with that. He just must be a man who's above reproach in the area with women. If he's married, he needs to be devoted to her, to his wife and her alone. Secondly, he must also be temperate. What he means by this is that he isn't given to any excess in an area of life. This is a man who demonstrates self-control. In his life, could be his appetites, what he eats, 
Could be any other area, but he's temperate. He must be prudent, Paul says. That means that he's sober-minded in the sense that he's, he's sound in his thinking. He's sensible and he's reasonable in the decisions he makes. That's very important in leading the church. You don't want somebody as an elder who is always on the edge of everything. You're always taking it to an extreme. The man is sensible. He's sound. He, he looks at problems and he comes up with some reasonable way of dealing with it if it's not specifically outlined in Scripture. He is also respectable, Paul says. He must be respectable. The thought behind this word is that of orderliness. This is a man who leads a disciplined life. He is respectable and he is respected because of that. He's hospitable. It simply means his home is open to to others. He's not cliquish. He opens his home to others and not just his best friends. Actually, the hospitable means that he loves strangers. So it means that he, he has a home that's open to people in general. He's able to teach. I already mentioned that. It means that he's skilled in teaching God's word. As I said, it doesn't mean that he has to be able to handle the pulpit. That's another animal altogether. It does mean, though, that he has demonstrated that God has given him the gift of teaching. He is skilled. He has the knowledge of the word. He has the ability to accurately and clearly communicate the word of God. He must also, Paul says, not be given to wine. Now, this doesn't mean that he never drinks wine, but what it does mean is that he's not addicted to alcohol. He's not addicted to wine or any other chemical that would cloud his thinking. That's what he means. He must not be, and I love this word, pugnacious. I love it because we have a pug dog. I always think of her when I think that she looks like she's a little fighter, but she's not. Must not be pugnacious. It means, it means that the man must not be quick-tempered. Or, or a contentious kind of an individual. He's, he's not a person who's always wanting to pick an argument. We all know people like that. Everything they say is inflammatory. also means he doesn't pick a physical fight, too. You don't want fights breaking out in elder board meetings. He's not, he's not a pugnacious kind of man. He must be gentle. It means he's gracious. He's considerate of others and their feelings. It means that he's sensitive. It's a man who's sensitive. He's peaceable. He's a man who tries to promote peace and unity. Although he, he will not compromise scripture, he's not afraid to confront sin, he'll do it in a way that's not quarrelsome. Once again, not in an inflammatory way. He's also, Paul said, free from the love of money, which means he's not greedy. He doesn't love money. It's not materialistic. Now, this doesn't mean that he can't have money. It has nothing to do. He may be very wealthy, maybe very poor. I mean, in the early church, you had men who were slaves who were elders. You had men who were slave owners who were elders. So it has nothing to do with his financial status. It has everything to do with his attitude towards money and things. In other words, the thought is that, that he's not a covetous individual. He may have lots of things, may have lots of money, but coveting is not a problem with him. Also, he manages his own household well, meaning he does a good job of managing his children so that they are under control and not wild and rebellious because he's not dealing with them. Here's the way one Bible teacher put it. Any man unable to govern his children graciously and gravely by maintaining good discipline is no man for government in the church. That's what that's what Paul says in First Timothy three. 
He says essentially that if a man can't manage well the few children he has at home, he's certainly not going to be able to manage well the many people in the church congregation. Can't handle the two or three or four, how many have at home. Not going to be able to handle more in the church. Also, he's not a new convert. Must not be a new believer because Paul said, otherwise he's in danger of falling into the condemnation of the devil, meaning pride. You don't take a new convert and exalt him in a position of leadership over his peers. It's going to go to his head. He has to be someone who's been saved for a while, a mature Christian. And you might say, well, how long does he have to be saved? I don't know. Scripture doesn't say. But long enough so that he's, he's passed the test of time. You've seen him under all kinds of circumstances, the good times and the bad times, and he's above reproach. It's above reproach. He's not going to look down upon others thinking that he's better than them because he is a leader. Also, he must have a good reputation with those outside of the church. That is to say, he must have a good reputation with unbelievers. That's important. Because unbelievers have to know him to be a man who lives by what he believes. Listen, you don't want somebody in the unsaved community thinking he's a leader at the church. Him? He's a hypocrite. I know what he does in his business. I know the kind of man this guy is. Listen, if that's the way he is, I'm not visiting that church. I don't care about Christianity. So the point is this man is known by unsaved people as somebody who practices What he says, he lives by. He's not a hypocrite. Now, that's the list that Paul gives. But in Titus chapter 1, Paul adds to this list. He says, amongst other things, that the man must not be self-willed. Meaning he's not a stubborn man. Not a headstrong man insisting on his own personal agenda. We've all met people like that. It's not to be in leadership in the church. He must also... Paul says, be one who loves what is good. The thought here is that this man not only loves what's good, but he's a man who loves doing good. That's really the thought. He loves doing good and beneficial things for others. Loves what is good, but he loves doing good things for others. He must be, Paul says, upright. Means he conducts himself in accordance with the truths of Scripture and someone who makes fair and just judgments in regards to others. There are lots of times that issues come before leaders in the church and two sides of stories and they have to weigh things. You want a man who makes fair and just judgments in regards to others. He's not a man who shows favoritism, partiality and speak out of both sides of his mouth. He's upright. Also, he's holy. He's committed to living by the holy standards of the Bible. He's self-controlled. He knows how to restrain himself in regards to his appetites, whether it be in the area of food, sexual desires, or any area of his life. In other words, he doesn't let his desires get out of control because he is a disciplined man. Then finally, Paul says he's one who holds fast to the word of God. That's a precious thought. It means this is a man who clings firmly to the word of God. That's his final authority. That's the, that's the rule of his life. He is sound in his doctrine and he is committed to the scriptures as the authority over his life. He holds fast to that. Not to culture, not to fads, clings to the word of God. Now folks, this is the kind of man God says we should be looking for as we look for elders to lead us at Lakeside. And you know why it's so essential that we have only men with 
this kind of caliber, these kinds of caliber character qualities as elders, because whatever they are, all of us are prone to become. So, evaluate men as elders wisely and biblically, not not silly stuff. Wisely and biblically. Listen, it is vital that we have the right men who lead our church. However, we must never forget that there's really one primary leader, and that's Jesus Christ. We're only following this because Christ, the head of the church, said this is what you follow. Said it through his word. Christ is the head of the church, and he is to be our sole authority through his word, and he is our ultimate example. All that, all that elders can do, and any leader in the church, is just follow Christ and say, as I follow him, follow me. He's the authority. Question is, have you ever yielded to his authority? You may be a part of the church, but have you ever really yielded to his authority? That's where salvation begins. He's Savior and Lord. He died for rebellious sinners like us. But once we repent, once we trust him for salvation, he forgives us. And then he begins to transform our lives so that we are in the process of becoming like him in godly character. I urge you, don't assume that you're a Christian because you're in the church. Make sure that you have turned to him for salvation and you have trusted him and he is your authority. If you already are a Christian, then understand that not all of us are called to be elders. Not all men are called to be elders. It's really all right to not be an elder. It's a matter of calling and giftedness that comes from God. All of us, though, are called to follow Christ and to follow the example that elders set for us. So, if you're one of the elders of Lakeside and you're in this service, then take heed to the standards of Scripture. Make sure that you are living by these standards because others are watching you. You represent the Lord. Make sure you represent Him well. Let's bow for prayer. Lord, we thank You that we don't have to wonder who's the head of the church. You are. And Lord, we thank you that you have a plan for how to lead the church. I pray, Lord, at Lakeside, as we have endeavored to follow your plan, help us to keep following it, to make sure that we never deviate because of some new approach to church growth or something that's popular in our, in our Christian culture. Lord, help us to be geared to only your word. I pray for those who are elders at Lakeside. I pray that they will continue to be the men of God that they have been. I pray for those you've, only you and your sovereignty know who will be elders in the future. I pray that they will be men who meet these qualifications and men who are uh, uh, just balanced in their understanding of Scripture, wise and godly. And I pray, Lord, that we as a, a church would follow our elders, would look to them, for leadership, would support them and love them, and I and pray for them. And Father, I, I also pray, if there be any here who really don't know you, I pray you'll reveal yourself to them. You'll open their hearts, I pray, to Christ and the gospel, and they would understand what it means to really repent, turn from their sin, and turn to the Savior, to be Savior and Lord. So Lord, we pray that you will take these teachings, these truths, And help us, help us 
to understand them and to follow them. But we pray for our children, grandchildren coming after us. We pray that they will grow up to be men and women of, of God who have seen in their leaders the type of people they should be. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. That's a great statement that shows the right attitude of a godly leader. As I am following Christ, follow me. Why don't you stop right now and pray for your pastors and church leaders that they will have as their primary goal to follow Christ and to be like Christ. There are still a couple of more messages in this series on the church. If you want to go back over this material, a good way to do that is to order the entire series on CD. Just call us at 727-239-0306 to order those CDs. Remember that you can also listen to or download messages on our website, versebyverseradio.org. Don't forget to pray for our ministry, and if you are able, to send in a financial gift to help cover the costs of putting this program on the air. You can give online, or over the phone, or by regular mail. Our mailing address is Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. I'm Jerry Pruden saying thanks for listening today. We are seeking to lift up the name of Christ, proclaim the truth of His Word, and help people like you grow in their faith. Tune in next time on Verse by Verse. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.